Warning. This episode contains spoilers for all aired episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, as well as spoilers for all published books in the Song of Ice and Fire series. You are listening to a podcast of Ice and Fire, episode 128 for the week of December 15th, 2013. Welcome back, everybody. As usual, this is Mimi. And this is Amin. And we have a special recurring guest here, Jason Walden, game producer from Fantasy Flight Games. Welcome, Jason. Hi, everybody. Hi, it's great to have you back on the show. Great to be back. It has been a while. I think we last had you um, come in in episode 92, right? Yep. I think. Yeah, it feels like it's been a been a long time. Last year, actually. Yeah, about time. a year ago. So yeah. it's our anniversary episode of Fantasy Flight Games. Yeah, it's always good to have Jason on the podcast. I talked with him briefly at uh, Days of Ice and Fire, and uh, I put that in the episode as well. I don't remember the number for that one, but 92 was the was the big one where we really covered everything. <laughs> the podcast of Ice and Fire tradition that Amin gets one episode a year that he gets to fully nerd rage in. Yes. It is usually board game episodes. <laughs> So what we're going to do, we already asked this before, but for people who haven't listened to 92, like we'll ask, how and when did you get into the book series, Jason? Well, I was a pretty big fan before working at Fantasy Flight, but uh, after working there, which has been now almost four years now, I've been working at Fantasy Flight. Since working there, I have really, really started to dig into it. I don't know how many times I've read the books now. I can't even count. And it's been so out of order. Like I, I've read chapter after chapter but it's been, it hasn't necessarily been consecutive all the time. I think I've read consecutively two to three times now through the entire series, but on top of that, just many, many chapters of random notes and, and reading. Basically, you got to the point where you have to buy new copies of the books because you've worn out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually one of those guys. I don't like hard copies, so no. the hard copies come out and I buy them and I, I just can't wait for the paperback so I can just tear through it and write in it and I just I won't touch the, the hard copy I have to keep it all pristine for some reason I don't you know you write in your paperbacks it's ballsy oh absolutely <laughs> no I, I yeah like I said like there are multiple copies and like there's like sticky tabs in them and notes and yeah that you know the paperback they don't hold up very well when you fling your book across the room every time someone you like dies, <laughs> that book falls apart like in three minutes yeah I only did that once but yeah that was better than your Kindle yeah, yeah that's, true. that's true. I've done it quite a bit with the paperback books. I've, I've kind of flung them around a bit. And then I let people borrow them, and they just, I mean, mm. at this point, I think each of my books have been severed into fourths, and I just kind of cobble them together the best I can when I do the rereads. But <laughs> I don't even own a hardcover version. Do they still sell those, right, of the old ones? Uh, usually it only the only first printing, I think. But yeah. you got to get one with Sean Bean on the cover, Mimi. Yeah. <laughs> Been avoiding those like the plague. Actually, I have a copy of a Game of Thrones that yeah, I, I lent out to like at least ten different friends over time, and they would write their name after reading it. And that one is in like three pieces right now, I think. But they would write their names in your book after yeah. reading it. Yeah, after they were converted to ice and fire. Signing off on it or something. Yeah. You Canadians are weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess in the first part of this episode, um, we're going to interview Jason about um, the Game of Thrones board game and its expansions. And um, and then I guess we're going to do one chapter recap, right? Yep. that's what, Go I, We're going to talk about one of Jason's favorite characters, uh, Stannis, uh, as an aside. Um, I do love me some Stannis. But you like Stannis, Mimi, right? Yeah, I love Stannis. Yeah. Didn't you I say like you, you'd married him or something? 
<laughs> I mean, let's be real. I've said that about every character at one point <laughs> during the course of this podcast. But I strongly supported Stannis's bid for king, and I still do. So I'm sure you've covered it before, but just out of curiosity, because I probably haven't heard it. Who, who do you hate the most? Hmm. Who do you hate, Mimi? I probably hated all the characters at one point. <laughs> um, you know, there are so many characters, but... I mean, typically, the one that everyone hates is Roose Bolton. And, I mean, there's some characters and that Ramsay, I... And Ramsay, yeah. Yeah, Ramsay Bolton is, like, not redeemable in any way whatsoever. But, I mean, right now, I don't think that I truly virulently hate anybody in particular. Just because I feel like every character has really interesting potential. I think you didn't like Sansa in A Game of Thrones, but you liked her later, right? It's a Game of yeah, Thrones. definitely by Feast for Crows. She was really... Her character was picking up a lot more and becoming more interesting. I mean, it was a slow burn for her, though, because a lot of the other Stark children became more interesting immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, certainly her character has turned around all the way. And, I mean, I really like Littlefinger, too. I think I've hated on him intermittently throughout the course of the podcast but i mean when i really think about it there's no one that i'm just like just just wanting george to kill off intensely you know i was just gonna say like i the, there's there's monsters like gregor or ramsey who like you hate but they're almost they're almost so inhuman that they're almost hard to hate cause they're almost like animals you know mm. but then there's like the calculated people who you hate because they're almost really good at what they do, the Tywins and the Ruses and stuff. But what I truly hate the most, or not neither of those types, I actually hate stupidity. I cannot stand it when characters are Oh my god, I love stupid. it. I love reading Cersei's mental breakdown. I hope oh. she's around forever. <laughs> Early Sansa stuff. No, why are you doing this? You know, even some of Rob's moves. Like, I love Rob as a character, but mm. some of the things he did, you know, I just, oh, I hate him for making those decisions. But, yeah. I guess that's how I feel about Danny. And dance. Yeah, yeah. I was such a Danny fangirl in the first couple of books, but you know, in dance, I just couldn't understand a lot of the decisions that she made, and I it wasn't behind them as much. But I think it's maybe just because George decided to make her character a little bit more complex and a, a little less openly the protagonist you want to root mm. for, you know, because she does make these choices in Green that I don't think every reader expects her to do. So I don't know, you know, at one point I just got frustrated, just like get off Dario's nuts and go back to Westeros. Like, <laughs> but, you know, nothing you particularly like hate a character for, but things maybe you just can't sympathize with. And that's why I love Stannis. He's neither stupid, he's not a monster, and, and yet he's still, like, his calculations are not necessarily self-centered. Like, he's truly just, I don't know, he's like the perfect character. I don't know, Stannis is like the oatmeal of characters. I love <laughs> him, and I love oatmeal, but, I mean, he is right there sort of in the middle. I mean, he's not as much of a hard-ass as Tywin, I don't think. But he's, I mean, he's not as shrewd as he could be, but he's definitely not stupid, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I do like Stannis for that reason. And I really feel like he totally got gypped. It should have been his throne. He was the next in the line of the Baratheons. It was that straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of good lines in general when you do rereads. You catch all his lines that he might not get the first time. So you think he would have been a good king or he would be a good king? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's like, he, he, he shows a lot of selflessness. Like, he's unlike a lot of other characters. Like, he's not in it for himself. He's in it for his, like, I got to do this, guys. This is... This is legit. Like I, I don't have any other choice. I have to be king. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow the system and follow the rules. And I'm a, I'm a big rules guy. I like following rules. I'm not a rules breaker. So I really appreciate that him and him. He wants to follow the rules. And when everyone else isn't following rules, he gets very upset about that. Well, what about how easily butt hurt he gets? <laughs> how easily what? How easily butt hurt he gets. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? 
Like, he's always, he's been kind of obsessed with, like, perceived slights to him, you know? Well, he's well, middle child syndrome. Like yeah, that could be true, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he would be mad at somebody for following the rules, if the rule, even if he disliked the rule. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not angry at Courtney Penrose, right, for not yielding right. uh, Star Wars in. He's like, sorry, dude, uh, you know, I gotta take it. But he's not angry. He's angry at Renly. He's like, oh, man, why do I have to kill you? This sucks, but... I think it would be interesting, like, Ned and Stannis would have been interesting if they'd, as a combo, working together, if they could, if Stannis could get over the jealousy of Ned. <laughs> yeah. No, we've never had a chapter from Stannis, right? What do you mean? From his point of view? No, we haven't had his point of view. He's one of those characters that... Uh, wow, is that true? Yeah. I'm wow. thinking because it's been a while since I've read Dance. Yeah, so it's, so it's always Davos, uh, or, or um, pretty, much, pretty much Davos, or John, I guess, also we see, and then... John, or uh, Caitlin, uh, for a little bit there. Yeah. I feel like I, w- I want to read a POV from him. Like, I feel like, I don't know if it's in Winds or not, but I really want to know because he comes off as just so humorless and cold, you know? Yeah, but he makes jokes. He makes jokes. He does. Did you like the, the TV Stannis so far? You know, I think Stephen Delane, I think, was uh, was his actor, right? Um, I think so. I think he looks really good as Stannis. Like, I think he's better looking than I had imagined, Stannis. Um, I have not kept up on the TV show, but what I did see in in Clash, um, his portrayal of Stannis, I liked it. Well, I'm curious, Jason, I mean, probably there's some people that you know, you know a lot of people who are TV viewers and not readers. How have they reacted to Stannis? Is anyone that actually likes Stannis in in the viewers only or? No. Yeah. See, I I don't like the TV version of Stannis. I don't like his portrayal. And that, that, and it really bothers me that that when, when I'm watching the show and I have to, there's a lot of concessions you have to make when you're watching that people who haven't read the books and you have to say, okay, guys, I, I, you're not going to uh, experience this the same way I have. But when they, Stannis is a good example of when they're watching Stannis, they really, really don't like him. Like they actually hate him as a person. And I kind of feel like they, they kind of drop the ball there as far as kind of showing us what Stannis is really about. Yeah, I think we'll have to get you on in one of our TV show reviews this season, maybe, if there's a Stannis-centric did, episode. Did they yeah. do more with him in the third season? Cause oh, the yeah. Because the second season wasn't too bad. I mean, um, I didn't really like him humping Melisandre openly. <laughs> that wasn't his character in the book so much. Can I spoil it, or do you not care? Oh, no, no, you can tell me. <laughs> yeah, there was the scene where they showed um, his wife and, uh, oh. oh my gosh, that was just crazy. With the babies in the jars? What? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They go, he's still at Dragonstone, and he goes upstairs to visit um, Selyse and uh, Shireen, mm-hmm. who are in the tower. And in this room, uh, Selyse, apparently, has kept all of his, what What were they, aborted babies or, or, or yeah, stillborn like babies? babies? Yeah, She's got like six babies in jars, in like formaldehyde stuff. Look. And I, I just, I'm, I don't even know what that was supposed to mean. <laughs> I was so taken aback. <laughs> Do you Remember, think that reflects that, Portly on Stannis or his wife? No, it's, it's, it's I don't know. Just... It, actually, that wasn't like, I mean, it was weird, but it didn't affect, like, it was It was just something that you could see, uh, because Selyse was having trouble having an heir and she just got obsessed. It was kind of like Lysa had the same problem there. And I remember that was actually leaked on Tumblr or something before the episode came out and everybody was like, what the heck is this? Is that actually real? And it turned out to be real. Yeah. It was weird. Stannis <laughs> but, is interesting. I mean, he's not he's not ambitious the way that the other people in the books are, you know. And I no, no. and I yeah, think that in, really in the TV show he seems to see that they changed his character in the TV show to make him like just more of a dick. I think. I think. I mean, 
maybe that's just their interpretation they, they have of the character because everyone has a different interpretation. You know, like when he decides to go north and help out north, in the TV show, it's basically Melisandre ordering him to go north. Well, that's mm-hmm. weakening his character, right? And less of a reason to like him if you're a TV Yeah, character. well, I feel like the characters have to be a little less nuanced for the TV audience, you know? Generally, but I feel like this is just their interpretation that's fair to have it. But I feel like if, if I'd like to see if David and Dan were in an interview, how do you feel about Stannis? Like, what's your view of him? I'd like to see that question and see what they think. It's really interesting because I don't know anyone who reads the books who would necessarily have a negative opinion of Stannis, you know? I think especially because we see him the most through Davos' eyes, and Davos is on his D oh, all the time. I think there's there's a split. I mean, even when I first was reading it, I didn't like him. It took me a reread or two to like him. So, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's legitimate people that don't like him, but the thing is, and that's fair enough, that's their ability, but if, if two people that don't like him write Stannis, then that's going to be the way he comes out as more of a villain. I mean, it makes sense, but I guess because we see it so much from Davos's point of view, and we know that Davos is like the closest we're getting to a true protagonist, you know, and his respect for Stannis and sort of the way that he paints him is is compelling. Cool. Well, we're, we're keeping it real here. I mean, there's lots of things we like about the show, but we we actually have discussions both ways. So we want to go back to the board game. And again, we'll say like in episode 92 is where we have most of the questions in the description, but we have a few, a couple of updated questions here. But if you, Jason, if you could describe again in a couple of minutes or less, like what exactly is the Game of Thrones, the board game second edition about? Yeah, for uh, for those who haven't played it, it's um it's a big map board of Westeros, the entirety of Westeros, all the way from north of the Wall, all the way past, um, down past Dorne. And each player plays a house, one of six potential houses, uh, one of the great houses, and you will be mo- you, uh, recruiting and moving units from that house around the board to try to capture areas from other houses. Um, each of the areas have various benefits, and the person that captures the most of a certain type of area wins the game. Or after 10 rounds, the person who has the most of, of that type of area will win the game. That's a that's a brief summary of how well, what it actually looks like when you're watching it being played, but there's a lot more intricacies, obviously. So uh, Mimi, you have actually played this game now, right? You own this game as well? Yes, I got it as a Valentine's Day present. Hmm. And it's very awesome fun. present for Valentine's. <laughs> uh, it was really cool. And also, it's really hard. Hmm. Um, I'm not... Last time, Jason, I remember I asked you, I was like, I've never played a board game. Am I going to be able to play this? And you were pretty honest with me and told me it's hard for a newcomer to board games to... Um, yeah, this it's, one not, is starter game. it's not on the easy level, no. Uh. I've never even played Monopoly, so um, <laughs> I feel like... My experience with board games is so severely limited, but the interesting thing about this one is that I feel like the first time you play it, especially with a group of friends who've never played it before, is that you spend about the first the first time you play it is really just learning the rules as you go yeah. along. Yeah, I, I demo it at Gen Con when we go to Gen Con, and um, it it does take a, I mean, you, a new a new pl- uh, group of players will sit down every half an hour to an hour, and it usually takes about f- at least fifteen minutes, and that's with my like speed demo. Where I'm cutting out rules and I'm just trying to get them into the game, and it'll take at least 15 minutes before we can even start. 15, dude, we were playing for three hours and still discovering new rules <laughs> that we hadn't followed yeah, for the yeah. previous three hours. And uh, I mean, it's cool. It is so cool that there's so many layers to that game that I could really appreciate, like how strategic you have to be about, you know, how you play it. But I mean, it is. Did you get crushed? Uh, I was winning everything at first, but then <laughs> I think we learned some rules that I wasn't following <laughs> or something. I think you and passed out from drinking or something in the middle of the game. Is that what I'm <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Um, I, I, I had to rage quit, but um, 
you know, I think we weren't doing it right because like we would play for two hours and like not get to muster. <laughs> so I don't think we were drawing the cards correctly either. It was still really fun though while we were doing it. And it definitely is one of those games where you're just like texting each other, like trying to form alliances on the. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've had that happen. <laughs> what house were you? Uh, do you remember maybe when you played the first? I believe I was Baratheon. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to play Tyrell or Martell, but I think we only had we only had a uh, four people, so mm. we weren't able to play with those houses. But yeah, I went down and I took everything in the south first because nobody else was doing it. Everybody was like skirmishing up north, so I was like, "Well, they do that. I'm gonna spread out down here until Stark came down and crushed me." So a wise Stark player. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I do look forward to playing it again. I just feel like I've got to have a better grasp on the rules. So what I, I noticed, uh, I often play with a new gaming group, and every new group I join, I, I fix three or four like common errors that they've been playing over and over again. Like You just have to. You learn it over time. Like and the, I, the rules are written very well, and most of the things are in there, but you have to go read the rule kit. Don't just like play it. <laughs> I figure up. next time I play, I'm going to hold the rule book and I'm just going to make stuff up to benefit me as we go along. Because <laughs> it's the only way I'm ever going to win. Subterfuge like that is part of the Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> yeah. You guys, it's it's uh, Baratheon's turn to muster every third round. Uh, out of curiosity, what rules do people get wrong a lot? Actually, I made a thread about this. i got to look that up. I, I it's mentally slow, but it was like three hours in and we're like, what the fuck do you do on a port? Ports, yeah, you're right. Ports, port, ports are tricky, yeah. yeah. Like, people think, for example, like, that you have to muster ships in a port or through a port. Whereas it's any, like, if, if you have a, the, the muster points touching the water, you can do it. You don't need a port yep. there. Yeah. Do it. And then they're like, well, what's the point of a port? They're like, wait till I crush your fleet. Then you'll see what the point of yeah. a port is. <laughs> Me was just telling me, like, you, you have to use the strength of the sea to win. So, so I guess we can go straight to... Uh, to questions here just basically ask all the questions i had but we got some from our listeners just since last time so that i thought would be beneficial to go over here's one of them from sylvana martel she was asking about like i know the answer for this but it'd be good to hear it what's the benefits of the messenger raven like for example she thought that the the blade or the fiefdom uh fiefdom's track being first on there having the blade steel blade is quite powerful and you're in fighting so why, what exactly is good about having the raven the ra- uh the raven itself or, or, or the top position of the uh the King's Court track, I think, in my personal opinion, is the strongest track. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, and it's strong for a couple of reasons. Number one, you get the Raven. And the Raven allows you to, after all of the orders are already on the table, and uh, everyone's already revealed everything, you have the chance to interrupt everything and replace one of your orders. So you'll look around the board and you'll see where the attacks are forming, where the raids are forming, and you'll be able to counter that per- sometimes perfectly by uh, replacing an order at that time. That is huge. Uh, to have that type of information is really, really important. And then if, in the case that you don't want to do that, you have the secondary option, in, uh, instead of replacing an order, you can look at the top of the Wildling deck and uh, and read the entire card and then place it on the top of the bottom. And that information is also very useful because you might be able to 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 fake your way through the next time the Wildlings attack and, and you know tell everyone that, oh, this is terrible, guys, put a bunch of power in, and then you yourself put none, knowing that you're not going to be affected, letting everyone else waste their mm. power and... And then, on t- and then probably the number one thing that makes that track so strong is the stars. When, yeah. The more star, the more stars you get, the more start orders you can play. And start orders are the most powerful orders in the game. Um, I, I think a player won't appreciate that until they've played lower on the track without any stars. Then you'll, then you'll start to, re- you'll see, yeah. uh, like, wow, this is this is hard. So uh, those guys without any stars, uh, really, that that sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. When you first play the game, and then the sword is still powerful, and the fifth is powerful yeah. in any battle, but 
that's one battle. Like, I well, hopefully you can use it the right battle when you can see what everyone's played and you get to do your order. Like, you need to take advantage of that. You need to save a good order or two off the board. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't do that. They use all their orders and they're like, well, I can't sub anything in. You have to yeah. plan to sub in like your March plus one or something like that. I think right. it's the second Westeros sticks. Yeah. They have a when when that card comes up. There's only a couple of them in there, but when they come up, it's your decision whether they bid on the tracks to reshuffle everything around or whether you collect power or nothing. So this uh, question came from Jessica and also applied to me as well. Um, She wanted to know if you have any ideas for speeding the game up. Said they found that it seriously stalled when people were battling, placing orders. Uh, Some people are hemming and hawing forever until we literally shouted at them to hurry up. So Mm -hmm. close to implementing a time limit. I, I kind of ran into that. I mean, for our on our part, it was mostly sitting around trying to make sure we had the rules right. But, you know, there is a lot of time spent, you know, placing orders in that game. Is there any sort of suggestion you would have for... Well, it's, it's nothing I, uh, we have published, but mm-hmm. um, I have noticed uh, with some playtest groups, for example. It doesn't change the game to do this, but I've noticed some slow groups, maybe some first-time players. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helps if you have slow players. If you have fast players, I would not do this because it does not speed up the game for fast players. But if you have slower players, I would do each house places all of the orders at uh, one at a time, or one house at a time. And the order doesn't really matter because you won't be able to determine anything from that. But you basically say, okay, Martel, place all of your orders. And then you have all five other players staring at the Martel player going, <laughs> come on, come on, let's go. And it, the pressure to do that, it, it increases. When everyone else is simultaneously placing orders, you feel a little less pressure. You feel like, I got time to make this decision. Right, but when okay. everyone's looking at you, it, you go faster. You will. <laughs> so you wouldn't suggest just like using a little timer? Well, yeah, sure. If you got a timer, that works too. But the problem with there, if you get real rules heavy like that, is that what happens when the timer goes off? Like mm. you can't place any more orders? Then it gets kind of weird because you'll have empty spots because someone was too slow. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I like that one so much. Yeah, especially how to Unless deal with the timer is, is tricky. But uh, what I did sometimes is like you have a timer, but like the first somebody sets it off when they're done putting their orders, which actually makes it a little bit longer. So then it, like it's like the same thing as staring at them, but it's like you put it for the last person or the like once like like you know one, once one person is done then they flip the timer and then it starts counting it doesn't start counting right away oh that's, that's interesting because yeah, then you then you, at least everyone has that like the initial without any timing and then like somebody's done then they flip the timer and then it's still a couple minutes off that which is still better than like the 15 minutes per round that's kind of cool because if you're uh <laughs> one of the, a strategy could be just dump your artists as fast as possible and put the pressure <laughs> on them you know yeah, like just go brrr and then like hit the like, timer. And- exactly. I mean, well, half the reason the game might go slow is if you're new to the game, you're learning rules. Well, that's you just got to learn rules. That that'll take time. The other half is just if if you have people that take forever. Which I mean, you, there was a guy I played with, and he tried to like predict every single order. And even when it was revealed, he'd be like, "I could do this, and you could do that." You're, you're not a computer. You got to play real time. You're not playing by mail here. See, mm-hmm. part of the game is being able to make decisions in a reasonable amount of time. So. There's a fairly large uh, play-by-forum community for this, mm. I, apparently, I guess. Oh, yeah. There's there's like 100... I think they're in the 150th game right now going on at the same time. Yeah. So there's quite a market there. For that. I've never tried it, but... There's a lot of downtime in the game when two people are fighting or something's going on. You should be already be thinking about your plans for the next turn at that time, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't just start when it's like the time to put orders down. You should already be... You should probably have like 80% of your orders already planned. It's only the one or two that you're figuring out in that point okay it can, it can get tricky because I mean, like the, the game might and because of the downtime there's mm-hmm. a small amount of downtime between turns it might be natural for the other players to just casually talk and you know oh did you guys see that last you know game of thrones episode and just kind of get out casual mm-hmm. but 
that it's as fun as that is it you're really there to play a game i mean i, I don't want to tell people how to how to play the game but i i find it best if everyone is focusing and yeah. uh sure absolutely cool. there, are, there are definitely other games that where you can more casually kind of conversate and stuff i'm not sure this is one of them okay question for you is there any plans for an updated uh fact for the base game or the expansions yes oh so it's on the works uh, right now or it's in the works it's in the works oh. Excellent. I'm in charge. I'm in charge of making that. So if uh, if anybody has any uh, uh, additional questions, uh, you can be you can be sure that I- I'm working on, on on giving that complete. No timetable, but it's coming. Cool. Awesome. Good to hear. And another question from a listener, Kay Centurion. Um, if you had to pick seven characters from the series for your house cards for House Walden, who would you pick? Characters have to have been alive within the span of the five books so far. <laughs> house Walden, huh? That's, that's yeah, Stannis. <laughs> well, it's, it's a weird question because if it was House Walden, wouldn't they all be Walden characters mm. that don't actually exist? I guess I don't understand. Like, well, am you, I... you're revealed to be a secret Targaryen. Uh, <laughs> okay. Walden is your cover name. So now, who who's the seven that you're? <laughs> so like people that are actually aligned with me. Uh, I don't know. I, I, off the top of my head, I would have to say I I don't know. I, I kind of like I like the mer- the concept of these mercenary companies, like mm. the Golden Company or the, you know the the windblown type of thing. I would I would probably pick a bunch of them and uh, that would be kind of cool. Make my own mercenary company. Any one character in particular, or, or mercenary, or, or something that comes more, to mind? more the concept of the actual group mm. than the individual characters so much. Um, but but you would yeah. go with the golden uh, company style then, like some yeah. one that had more honor a little bit. Yes, well, definitely. No well, bloody honor, mummers, honor, but like yeah, <laughs> no, no, not bloody mummers. I mean, not that I, I yeah, they're interesting, but uh, I'm referring more to like the they follow the gold, and yeah. uh, I think that would be kind of cool though. Well, I think um, didn't I think Oberyn made his own company as well, or he served in one anyways, Oberyn Martell. So that kind of like stuff. Cool. All right, uh, that's it. Quick questions for the baseboard game. Hey. I don't know what happened there. I'm back. Yeah. Technical difficulties happens with the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> typical podcast. So what we're going to do is is move on to the variants and expansions. Then I believe Jason, you're the one who actually designed them, right? Okay, so why don't we start with, I guess, chronological... Well, actually, up to you. Do you want to start with the Dance of Dragons or Feast for Crows first? Yeah, we can start with the release schedule, or how they were released. Dance of Dragons was first, so... Okay, so Dance of Dragons, which I believe is described as, as an expert level variant. Yeah, or? so what it does is it takes... It's a six-player variant, so you have to play with six players. Um, and it, it basically reflects the events from Dance with Dragons slightly. It's kind of a, a mesh between Dance of Dragons and Feast for Crows, actually, as far as the timeline. Mm. But um, it, it, play, it replaces all of the units into a new starting position. So you still have the same six houses that you had in the base game, but they're all given brand new starting locations and brand new uh, um, uh, kind of uh, everything is kind of rejiggered to reflect that Dance with Dragons uh, book. And on top of that, it, you'll notice in the base game, if you've played, there's a couple turns at the beginning where you're all just kind of grabbing an empty land and kind of forming these casual alliances, and, and it kind of it kind of speeds up very slowly. Well, with Dance of Dragons, it's uh, the Dance of Dragons variant. It starts off right away, fast and furious. Like you are at each other's throats at the very very first turn. Mm-hmm. You are next to each other and in force next to each other, ready to take each other's home uh, home areas sometimes even. Um, so it's it's a lot more tense. And with that, that is why I call it an expert game. Um, because you you need to know what you're doing right away. You can't screw up or you're out of the game almost. Not entirely out of the game, but you, you, if you if you screw up off that first play, uh, you'll pay for it. Yeah, and all the rules are basically the same except for the the shortened timeline. So technically, you could 
play it pretty early, but I agree that it helps that if you if you're good at you have experience with the, you know fights and in the game and, and bidding and sort of that sort of thing, so you're ready to deal with it. Otherwise, it'll it's most balanced when you're really good at the game. I think. Yeah. There, uh, each uh, another thing we should point out about the expansion is that each house gets a brand new set of house cards, and they are tailored specifically for this variant. But they can also be used with the base game. So you can replace all the house cards in the base game with a brand new set that do completely different things and have new characters sometimes. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that is true. I've never actually tried it uh, like that. I guess I've, I barely play the base game anymore. I just play the variants mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the expansions. But yeah, I guess I'd be interested to see how people have, if people have tried these cards with the base game and how they yep. did. Um, I actually I, I like them a little better personally. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like they're a little slightly better balanced. They're slightly more um, synergy among the cards. Mm. They play off of each other a little more. So you can actually look at your hand and, and kind of get a feel for what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to play them. Rather in the base game where there wasn't so much of a synergy, so it was more up to you. And Mimi, you actually you actually have a copy of this. You were sent a copy um, by FT Ward. I don't know if you have it on hand, but you um, have I it. I have it with me right now, but I do have it in my stuff. Thank you so much for sending that, by the way. What exactly goes into making like a print-on-demand expansion like this? How do you approach and, and brainstorm and design this kind of thing? So we are because it's print-on-demand, the entire expansion, every single bit of it, needs to be printed into cards. Uh, and we can, we can print a fair number of them. Both expansions have about 50 cards or so. But they all have to be card-based. So we're kind of limited there. Um, we, we, we have to design around the fact that we can't include Punchboard. Punchboard's a big thing we like to usually include in Fantasy Flight games, but we can't do that with this, so we have to only use cards. So that, that restriction alone kind of, kind of makes it interesting. You've got to kind of figure out what you can do with just cards. Um, for me, when it comes to designing new expansions for any type, any type of game, um, I always focus on the, the lore and the, and the, the backstory first. Um, I, don't, I don't have necessarily in mind the mechanics that I want to come across. I want to present the game that is replicating the story in some way. So for Dance of Dragons, I said, what's happening in Dance of Dragons that's different than the core game? And, and certainly, if you've read Dance of Dragons, you'll know that there's a lot, a lot, a lot has changed. Um, can I spoil that? Yeah, I mean, I will be putting a spoiler alert at the start of the podcast. So this is all, all five books are, are covered. So yeah. Okay. So in, in, in the Dance of Dragons game variant, um, House Stark basically doesn't exist. They've been replaced by Bolton, essentially. <laughs> um, they, the, most of the cards are gone. You won't see Editor or Rob or, or Caitlin anymore. They're, they're not there anymore. They're replaced by Ramsey and, and, and Roos, as well as some of their allies, um, and uh, so it kind of replicates that. Same thing with Stannis. Uh, in, in the base game, the Baratheon forces, led by Stannis, uh, are located down towards Dragonstone and, and, and Storm's End. Uh, and they have most of their units starting down there, including a, a little fleet. But in the Dance of Dragons variant, they most of his units actually start way up north of the Wall, because that's where he is. Uh, he has a very small token garrison in both uh, uh, um, Dragonstone and Storm's End, but the the tough part for him then is he has to decide what do I do? Do I do I take Winterfell? That's a, a, a strategy he has to determine right off the bat, or do I actually march back down south and defend my my home realm, which is Dragon Dragonstone and, and Storm's End? So it's just an example. I'm just going to mention some of the cards here. How I think this matches up what you've been saying. For example, like you you have Mance Raider here uh, under Baratheon. I mean, like that's some like something you have to get from the fifth book that he's alive, right, and that he's there. That's just a nice <laughs> there, <insight> point. <laughs> there are 
there are definitely spoilers in this yeah. expansion. I want to say that right off the bat, so I, I don't want anyone to give you the misled. But I mean, like it's I said, good that you put that in there. I mean, that that's like this wasn't like a quick look. Like you, you have characters like not only Man Raider, you have a character named the Big Man. Like yep. unless you read the books, and even then, like the Big Man is is a name for an Ironwood that's with Quentin. But like, yep. if, if you just pick it up, you're like, why is he called the Big Man? It's like, well, it's it's in the lore. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> and even even the Mansraider card, I think, is uh, interesting. Oh yeah, it's a spoiler in and of itself because it's him in the Lord of Bones outfit, mm. right? Watching himself burn. If you don't, if you know the scene from the book, you know, like yeah. Uh, but it, the card is called Mansraider. So you pick up that card and you go, "Why is this card called Mansraider when he's in the Lord of Bones outfit?" And that mm. kind of immediately spoils it for you right there. Well, I think the timing of of that is just fine. I mean, it's been what over two years since dance came out. So. Yeah, yeah. You still find people though that are like, especially the HBO thing. What they do yeah. is they follow the HBO show and they'll read the books, but they'll read it after HBO show. So they don't know Dance with Dragons because HBO hasn't showed it. Mm. Well, that that particular car, they probably just mean be meaningless to them right now. They'd just be like, eh, Mass Vader. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's crazy to me that people do that, though. I mean, especially as the TV show, I it's diverting from the books. What is the merit in waiting for the TV show to air before you read the books? I mean, yep, I agree. I mean, I heard that season three was a lot closer than season two was, but I mean, it's I mean, I know plenty of people who do that who are like, oh my god, I can't wait till the next season. I'm not going to read the book until it airs. But it just seems that what you read is. A total, I mean, is an inconsistency from what you watch. So I'm not sure why a person would do it in that order or why they would wait like a year to figure out what happens to characters. That happens a lot of mediums like anime or manga. There's people who would watch a, a, an anime and want to wait for the next one. They don't necessarily jump to the manga and read it, right? Some people like the thing they got first. So, hmm. as you mentioned, Stannis is in here as well and he's really powerful. He, he, he's basically an anti support bomb. So it gets rid of support orders, which is cool. One other thing I wanted to mention, yeah. So as you said, you you kind of reworked it again if for people who played the base game. Ramsey and Reek are in here, and they're paired together. The cards affect each other, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But also, it seems like a more balanced version of like because in the base game you have Roose Bolton that gets all your cards back when you lose a battle. In this one, you can get one like it gets the two cards back. I think it's more balanced. Like it's like a rethought off way of uh, rather than just give you all your cards back, which is a bit much. I think. Are you, are you referring to Ramsey and? Uh... Yeah, and Reek. Yeah, the way they, they they can like Reek can get you back Ramsey and himself depending yep. on the situation. And then and then Ramsey himself actually gains. Uh, he's one. a four with three swords, which is yeah. pretty much the most <laughs> strongest card of the game if Reek is in the right position. Cool. I think that's it for the cards. Let me just take a quick look here. Cards. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. Two others. Mark Terrell. Marguerite Terrell is really interesting. I guess that kind of because also matches her political power, and the reader is really powerful as well from the Iron Mountains. Mm-hmm. So. You yeah. can see that you're a fan of the series and you made this. You weren't just somebody who just read it and made it, which could still make a good game. But oh, and I, yeah. I, I, every one of those abilities, I really wanted them to reflect the uh, the character themselves. I mean, for example, there's a there's Walder Frey, mm. who his his text says, uh, "Any player who grants support to your opponent must grant that support to you instead." So he's the back he's the he's the, <laughs> the backstabber kind of character like that. I really liked to to bring that those those character traits across. You know what would be cool, and somebody mentioned it in terms of future cards, would be uh, Sir Robert Strong. Would be a cool card, I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be interesting. The, the, art, the ne- artwork for that, too. <laughs> um, there is a Kyburn card, hmm. which kind of em- emulates that. His art actually has a, a dude kind of in a stockade, and he's got blood all over his, oh, wow. his, 
Yeah, and then uh, the effect is that you can discard two, par- two available power to choose a house card in any player's discard pile, and he actually gains the printed strength. So essentially, he's bringing somebody back from the dead to fight for him. Mm. Nice. I mean, if that's what Robert is, who knows? So you're the artists as well. Like, did you describe them to do these things? Like, oh, every card, or did they do some of them themselves, or some of them already made? It's kind of hard to tell. We yeah. we have uh, an L- uh, It's called an LCG. It's a living card game based on Game of Thrones that has lots and lots of cards that have already been done. <laughs> Thousands, I would imagine. Um, so I pulled probably most of that from from that from those card games that were already made. So I didn't get to commission a lot of it. I did commission some. Hmm. Because I, I just we didn't have a character for that, so I had to pull out and, and uh, commission one. But uh, yeah, most of them are already done. Yeah, here Roos has leeches on him in this picture. <laughs> yeah, yep, he's creepy. Let's see if since we're moving past this and we're not going to do it again, and see if there's anything else that, that we've missed here. But here's an interesting, and you know, Jon Snow, uh, you can raise or decrease the wildling track with yep. him. One one interesting variant just for fun, I thought it would be cool because it, it it caps at ten, but it'd be cool if you actually let it go to twelve. Uh, because then it, what, it, what that would do is it would start an immediate wildling bit in the middle of the turn. Right there in the middle of the turn. Yeah. Wow. Which could have a huge effect depending on what card it is. a huge there. effect, yeah. yeah. So I, I haven't actually tried that out yet, but I thought that would be a, a fun little house variant to try out. Just take a, bla- a black uh, black sharpie to the, uh, I think it's a parenthetical that says yeah. to a minimum of, or to a maximum of 10. You can just cross that out. <laughs> uh, another example, another, sorry Mimi if we're boring you here. This okay? Oh no, it, I just... Um... I have not had enough experience yeah. with the game to change. You'll have to re- re-listen to this, or anyone who plays the game, re-listen and you get more out of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and in Dorne, I think, and, and I mentioned this because I reviewed the game, is your first example, I think, of a just a whole set being thematic, like you showing off Doran's abilities to, to be careful and building up. It's like a, th- it's a themed set of cards for the house. Yep. They're intentionally meant to, to delay and stall and just wait yeah. yeah, for everybody else to kind of wear down, and then it, towards the end of the game, when you when you have a uh, the advantage, you can strike pretty hard. All right, I guess we will move on to a feast for crows, which which is uh, again, well, is it termed a, an expansion or a variant? I guess I, I think I see it as an expansion. My well, view. it's an expansion that has a variant, I guess, if you want to say it that way. <laughs> but I think, and, and you, you'll describe it to us. But I feel like this ex- expansion, you really put a lot in there given the limitations of only having cards i think you, you did a great job of adding a lot of content so yeah, it worked out really well uh, it, we had a tournament for it at, at the uh, days of ice and fire that w- was pretty went over pretty well mm. so what what happens in the feast for crows like what, what, what kind of game yep. is there so this expansion is for four players whereas the other one was for six players and this this drastically changes the game um, in a way that that even Dance of Dragons didn't. Dance of Dragons is still ga- is still the same game. It's you play it the exact same way. It's just different setup and different house cards. In this one, you're no longer playing for the same victory condition. In the base game, you want to acquire castles and strongholds. There's areas in the boards that have castles and strongholds. In this expansion, you no longer are going for castles and strongholds. What you're trying to do is f- fulfill a series of objective cards that are in your hand. You actually, uh, each of the objective cards has a certain number of victory points you'll receive for completing it. And uh, there's a big, giant deck of random uh, different objectives that you want to control and, and, and uh, fulfill. So the first person to, to complete enough of those wins the game. In addition to that, there is a new house that we introduced, which is uh, House Aaron. House Aaron gets a whole set of seven house cards, which were not in the base game, but they're, they're playable in this expansion. Talking about again cards and references. I mean, they have Elaine Stone in here. Uh, you, you added there a Sansa. So again, yep. Or and, and really cool abilities uh, there. And Littlefinger has a, is, has a cool card and cool abilities. So 
the Aaron's, uh, it, it all revolves around their victory conditions. Uh, each, mm-hmm. each of the houses represented here, which was Aaron, Baratheon, Lannister, and Stark, each of the houses have a single objective card that, that they can do over and over again. Uh, the rest of the card, the objectives will, will, will be, they'll be cycling through them, but they, each house has a single one that is, that is paramount to them to, to do to gain victory points. And for House Aaron, their, their, to- their whole goal for, to complete that objective is to hold more power than everyone else. So all of their house cards revolve around power and power gain and, uh, and, and taking power away from other people. So if the four podcast hosts we get together, we got to play this one. There's four players, maybe. <laughs> and that's another thing that works out really well for this one is the normal game. Even the four-player base game is hours, you know, two hours minimum, you know, most likely three or four. This can be played and is easily played within an hour. So, so it's, it's super fast-paced. Super. I, mean, I played a lot both uh, online and, and in person, and I've really enjoyed it. So it's a nice spice to the game. And again, I, I just want to say that it, given the limitations you had, I mean, like. It, and I guess we'll mention because there were people that were interested in, in uh, were hoping that there would be like a peace release of the errands, uh, but but that didn't happen. That was close, but again, that was the limitations, right? Yeah, we we couldn't do it. It wouldn't uh, wouldn't be possible, not within this type of limitation. One question from somebody who had sent in for this from Dom, and he was asking about Aaron again. Yeah, he's saying that uh, he enjoys playing Aaron, but uh, he finds often they have trouble winning, getting first place because he feels like he's always holding his power and getting that, but he's unable to bid. He's unable to really have a lot of ships, so he's finding like, how do you envision an Aaron victory looking in the game? Well, obviously you need power, and your house cards go a long way towards giving you that power or getting ways to get that power. But that's not the only way you get the power. Mm. Um, uh, and, and not not to uh, to downplay it either, but House Aaron's uh, special objective is to is to have more power than everyone else. That is not to say though that they can't complete the other objectives as well. They're going to be a little bit harder to complete for them, just slightly, because they House Aaron has a slightly uh, disadvantageous starting position because they don't have a port. That's a small thing, but uh, it, it can it can matter. Hmm. But the each of the house cards or each of the objective cards are balanced. Yeah, each of the houses are represented on the objective cards and how many victory points they'll score. So they are balanced that the, the, the harder it is to, to score that card for your house, the higher amount of victory points it's worth. So there are cards in there that will actually re- reward Aaron more than it would reward other houses. For example, Aaron has a, would have to stretch a little to gain supply, um, but their um, objective card, Ample Harvest, which says obtain position five or six on the supply track, it, re- it rewards Aaron with two points where it rewards everyone else with only one. So the best way for Aaron, I think, or one of the ways for Aaron to play is to to find and and hope to find because there's a little bit of luck involved, but to hope to find the uh, the cards that score higher from than everyone else and and focus heavily on those as well as your special objective. And that's something to just to mention. I mean, there is more luck in the game now with having these cards. Not necessarily that's a bad thing, but there are some people that like only like a certain amount of luck, and it might not be for them because they're having what, what draw you get is a little bit more luck, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not a dice roll. You no, can't no, no. lose straight up by drawing a bad card. Every card is possible. And even the cards that are extremely hard will ro- will reward extremely well. Um, you only the, the first player to get to, to seven victory wins the game. So it's only seven points. Hmm. And um, some of the cards, the, the really hard ones, the ones that like some people might groan if they get and think that are impossible to complete, they're worth four victory points. So if you, hmm. if you commit heavily to that and you are able to pull it off you'll you'll be more than halfway done with the game 
And you've put you've put mechanisms that often switch up the cards, like you you shifting ambitions yeah, while yeah. you put one down. So you're not stuck with the cards. Did you feel like the four uh, point ones would be cashed a lot, or rarely, or maybe in the lower skilled games? Because it seemed like the the four point ones are not they're pretty hard to do in a higher level game. I would think they are, but they're not impossible. Yeah. That's that's the important part. And and I actually wanted them to be. My intent was to actually create um, uh, kind of focus there. So for example. Mm. Uh, part of the balance revolves around occasionally having a house push way, way far away from mm. where they're normally comfortable playing just to get that four-point victory. And because they're pushing so hard towards that direction, it causes the other houses to balance because of it. Um, mm. For example, I'm just looking through them right now. Uh, there's one called Hold Court, which the objective is Control King's Landing. And House Stark gets four points for that. That's huge. And it really, I mean, if you think about the board itself, it's not that far. I mean, House Stark puts a puts a, a couple ships down in there within. I think range that's of the house. the easiest one of the four. For example, that card compared to the other four VP. This is the only a minor point; doesn't really affect it. But if you look at the other ones, they're harder than that. I think. Well, uh, if you look at, I, mean, I think you you have to take in consideration that the starting position, which um, mm. revolves around Baratheon and Lannister, completely surrounding it and fighting viciously over King's Landing. True. Uh, yeah, they have so the if Stark wants to take it, yeah. <laughs> They have to go not only get down there, which requires going through Aaron's boats and Baratheon's boats, and then finally sh- uh, pushing both Lannister and Baratheon out of King's Landing. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit harder than it sounds. None of them like really affect the balance because, as you're right, they would put their whole game toward or anything to that, that yeah. particular goal. But you have two other car- cards you could cash as well it's at true. the same time. So I feel like Aaron is a difficult faction to play, but I don't think it's unbalanced. I think you just have to play the game. I think you got to play like 10, 20 times before you can say it's unbalanced. Like I've played a lot of times, and I think overall it's good. But I, I feel like, still, Aaron, you, you got to know what you're doing. Like It's not an easy yeah. one to jump into. It's so. not, no. I would say, yeah, it might be the hardest in the sense that it's it's the le- it's the least forgiving. We'll put it that way. Yes, the least forgiving. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the hardest. Uh, a good Aaron player actually will, I've seen, will do pretty well, especially compared to some of the other ones. I feel like the, 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 if they often win, it'll be a, a, be a quick win. Like they got to pull the points on quickly and and jump to to it, so which they can do. But yeah, I just I mean like you're right. It's nothing like a dice roll, but there is some luck. I mean, there's some European players who didn't. But there's luck in the base game as well in terms of the Westeros cards, yeah, and things yeah. like that. But, but somebody who had been playing it, like these European players, they actually play. And this is completely ob- uh, opposite to the way you intended. But they play with their objective cards revealed, so these people mm-hmm. can see what's on the table. Oh um, no, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can play however you want. It's no big yeah, deal. exactly. That's, that's that's the beauty of it. If you don't like it going one way, you can just play a little bit differently in your yep. house. You can. That's the freedom of it. So, okay, how are we looking for time? Because we have a couple of quick questions for in terms of the future, and then we go to the chapter. Is that okay? Or and, and the yep. uh, Stannis thing. I'm good. You good, Mimi? You okay? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do we need do we need like a break to get some water or anything, or are we good to continue on or? No, I'm, I might need to jump out before you guys hit the chapter reread, though. Okay. So, yeah, we can do that. Okay. I just, uh, but I did, um, I did like some of the future questions that you had put aside of me. Sure. Uh, is there any anyone that you want to ask specifically from the list? If you want to me? Yeah, was, of course. Uh, this is only <laughs> something that I feel really strongly about. But as far as future material, um, for the expansions, as far as future material goes, do you think you would pull anything from Dunkin' Egg? Um, for this game, I don't. No, uh, I can't. I can't see it happening. But it doesn't mean we, we won't. It doesn't mean we can't. We have we have the rights to it. Um, George would need to approve it personally. But I, I don't. 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not really seeing. I'm not really seeing a vision for that. I guess. I guess it, it's not necessarily stuck in Duncan Egg's time, but the Blackfire theme. Like Black- yeah, like the Blackfire Rebellion and stuff is interesting, but is it really that different than what we already have? I mean, I'm not really sure. Couldn't see like you can't visualize yeah, something I, coming out of it right no, now. No, I can't. And maybe it will happen, but I just yeah. couldn't do it right now. But well, related- yeah, I just think the Blackfire Rebellion stuff is really what's kind of interesting. But I don't know Hon- if that would honestly be if, I, if game, you know. If I was gonna do something, if I was gonna do another one based on a different time period, I am more inclined to do Robert's Rebellion mm-hmm. first, at least. But I don't know. Again, that's just me speculating. And and you haven't read Princess of the Queen, but uh, you are planning to read it. Oh, definitely. Well, I think you'll enjoy a good read. Okay. Uh, Related to Days of Ice and Fire, does FFG, do do you hope to have another one, like in 2014? I do. I can't can't speak for the company. I haven't heard definitively one way or the other, but it went over really well. It always goes over really well. And um, yeah, I don't know. Cool. But you, you, I mean, they've had it every year for a couple of years. So, like, unless yeah, they've had it wrong, every year for like five years, so or four yeah. years, so. Yeah. And George used to go there as well. I mean, he's got busy lately. But it'd be cool. Well, he went once. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a couple of more quick questions again. You could, you could just say no comment if you can't answer it or whatever answer. It, but I still should ask it. Is so like, I guess we don't even know if there's going to be days in ice and fire. But would there be another print-on-demand expansion then, or? Nah, I can't comment on that. No comment. Okay. Moving on, let's see. Oh yeah, I guess we were talking about other. So you you thought Robert's Rebellion would be good, but what about Essos or, or something like that? Or somebody said a city-focused game like within Marine. That's kind of pushing it, I guess, the limits. It starts. Yeah, the city one is while interesting. Uh, it would require some significant investment. Uh, that would be a completely new that. game. Like you couldn't. It would be it pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, he pretty much had to start from scratch. Um, Essos is really interesting. I don't know how that would go over i mean i guess i can imagine putting a i don't know mm. it's interesting i'm very intrigued by it you need a new piece of board to <laughs> that's what i'm thinking yeah like you'd certainly need a board right you yeah. probably need one that's like just the the coastline basically the the free cities maybe maybe just down to Vulcanus. i don't know if you'd go all the way to slaver's bay because that's starting to get pretty far that's a huge board yeah mm. that that again yeah that would be a formal expansion not something that could be done with a print on demand it would, i think no no yeah so I, I, again, I, I guess I had answered this, asked this question before, but I'll ask it again, even if it's the same answer. Like, is there any thought to an online version of Game of Thrones or a computer version or something like that? Be interesting. I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> but, but just just to say, you know, the, people are playing the the by forum or online like all over the place and, and across different countries. So I feel like there's an, a market there for it. So. You're seeing more and more board games come onto uh, uh, tablets and stuff. I have a whole bunch on my tablet that I just really enjoy, and um, we've certainly done it as a company. We've made, we've translated some of our board games into into well, that's apps. That's true. You have you, that's you have done some of the other games before. Yeah. So. Elder Sign was an app, mm. um, and a couple smaller ones too. So you have no idea if it's going to be done, but would you be happy if it was done? Like would it be? A, oh yeah, you'd, you'd smile on it. Yeah. You'd be smiling. Yeah. At it. yeah. <laughs> okay, and one final thing I want to mention. Uh, you know, last time I mentioned the idea for the Battle of the North uh, thing, just a fan-made stuff. We actually worked on that for a bit, but I played a nine-player. You know, there's a couple of nine-players. One was made with the, with the first play, first edition when it was out. Some people yep. made it, and now somebody made a second edition, which I played that has, like, Aegon uh, and other people. And, yeah, it took it took all day. It took ten hours for me. Did <laughs> to, it really? To play. Yeah. I won in the end, but it, but it was like a Pyrrhic victory. I was, like, burned out from playing but you know i was thinking the benefit of an online or computer version is that <laughs> with the rules you know program mm. 
Yeah. It'll be able, it won't let you fuck things up. Yeah, I remember I yeah, played you, Magic the Gathering. You try to play wrong, and it would be like, eh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It would actually, like, it, it, it would, yeah, exactly put the right rules on you, so. Well, it'd be an interesting way to learn how to play the game, you know? Yeah, but I guess that so. programming it would also be difficult because you have to put all the correct rules in, including, like, those little situations that... that yeah, up. I can imagine so. But then you know that no one's just making up rules as they go along. Hmm. Well, basically, if you play with me, then, then I know the rules. Just trust me. <laughs> yeah, the rules <laughs> usually result in you winning. Could you describe your nine-player game more? I'm really curious. Okay. How did that go? How did it go? Yeah, I was Lannister, and apparently, like, I felt it was... Like I mean, everyone anyone can can make their games, but the balance will vary. I felt it wasn't very balanced. First of all, they put a lot of like strongholds and and uh, castles in the middle, and it was still a seven VP. So oh, it looks like they they completely redesigned the map. Oh yeah, it's a, you print out the map. It's like a completely redesigned map. I can send you the I'll, I'll post up the link and I'll send you the link afterwards. Uh-huh. But uh, it's a bigger map, and it, uh, the factions like for example, in the north you have uh, Bolton and Baratheon, uh, Bolton Baratheon, and I guess Aaron is up fighting up there as well. There. And then you have uh, the two. You have two Targaryens. You have they. They, they kind of predict it. They have like Aegon coming over and then Danny, <laughs> this, this wow. purple Targaryen and like white Targaryen, and Dorne. But the problem is, yeah, yeah Lannister. It looks like Lannister could win in like turn two. So everybody beats them up, or they they're gonna get crushed. So I, I tried like I tried to avoid being a threat by like not going for that turn because that'd be boring to win on turn two. Like why would you play with nine people to win on turn two? It'd just be dumb. So I just like turtled in the middle and I, I built a huge like footman army <laughs> uh and then again they, they made they have just ridiculous cards there's, there's a card they put where like it, it's a i think it's um you're on Greyjoy and it's like destroy immediately destroy footman or ship this 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 is just ridiculous right it's like so i basically turtle inland and i tried to get supply and, and get power and hold the middle and basically like i was fighting like four people so i cycled my cards like 10 times <laughs> during the game hmm. uh and it Another interesting thing was like, and this was in the original one as well. There's four Westeros decks. They had a fourth deck, and that one has crazy things like kill half your knights or something, or lose half your ships and all this other stuff and like random stuff. So I I, I thought that was coming up, so I just built lots of footmen, and they didn't hurt me. But uh, and then oh, there's one card that says winter has come and the game ends when that comes up. <laughs> that's how I won. I kept wow. trying to get a tie break until that would come up and then it came up. So no, I I have a hard time. I mean, without actually seeing it, I have a hard okay, time. Okay, let me see if I can find the, the map points. for you. Like, we'll we'll cut out the uh, the gap, but I do want to send you the map. So let's see. Uh, enter enter there is the website. Yeah, enter dot there. Let me paste this here. Oh, this one's on Reddit. Well, he also yeah. made a like a six player version of your uh, your Feast for Crows type game. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Again, I didn't feel like it was fully balanced, but it's fun. Like, uh, I think it'd be fun to play. it. That's the website, and then under expansions is the, uh, or I think it's under there, let's see. Winds of Winter is what they called it. <laughs> Unofficial nine-player expansion, Winds of Winter. Like, he, he is a dedicated guy. I mean, maybe you guys should look at, if you're looking for people to hire. <laughs> you can see he puts a lot of work into it, like he's made all the pieces and stuff. Huh. I think there's a map here. Instructions. There's the map. Oh, yeah, the map's there. The second link that I sent has the map. All right, let me look. Oh wow! Yeah, it's huge. You have nine people sitting around it. So it's actually bigger, like physically bigger. It's physically bigger, yeah. But oh. it, you can see the problem. If you look in the middle around Harrenhal, there's a lot of uh, like castles and things around that. In fact, they, ha- they have a rule now that Harrenhal doesn't count toward victory points because otherwise you can get seven like immediately as Lannister because there's just there's like five touching each other in the middle. 
And there's no one opposing you, or I mean, I don't, it no. Seems you like see, well, you start so you, so you start in King's Landing, and then see everyone jumps on you because otherwise you do you get it and win. Uh, but the problem is like, and the only reason I won is because I'm skilled at the game. I know how to do battles because like many times people were attacking me, and I just like you know use support. I did all kinds of tricks to win. Otherwise, you just get crushed in the middle, and eventually Greyjoy will come and kill you. And there's there's even like if you look at the west, there's even an extra territory by the water. So if he takes that one ocean, he can get like three territories. Off. Oh, so yeah. I, I feel like Greyjoy is overpowered in the game once he gets there. He just starts a little bit south and has to come up north again. So it, I don't feel like it's balanced, but it is fun. Mm. So. <laughs> Very interesting. Cool. All right. So what we're going to do now is pretty much we're almost done. I guess, Mimi, so you're not going to stay around for the reread then, right? Where you are? No, I got to get going. So okay. Sorry. Okay. Do you want to um, – how, how much time do you have? Like 10 minutes? You got to go right now. Um. I have to get going now, but okay. can you guys do the reroute without me? Sure, we can do that. Do I guess do you want to do you want to say anything and wrap up for yourself then, Mimi? Or um, as far as this episode, no, but I do look forward to talking about the princes and the queen with you guys on the next one. Cool. All right, thanks, awesome. Jason. Appreciate yep. it. Okay, uh, so what what do you want to talk about, Jason? I mean, like, uh, how's your time, and what do you want to talk about? We can talk about the a little bit of time left. What do you? Uh, yeah, um, because you want to talk about the Battle of Ice. Well, I mean, uh, what are we at? Are we, are we going to do the read-through? Oh, up to you. We can do the reread instead if you want, and we can always chat about that some other time. Do do I got some read? notes on it. All yeah. right, let's do the reread then. So we're going to do Aria, let me see. I believe it's Aria 9 from A Clash of Kings. Do you want me to, to do the summary, or do you want to summarize go it ahead. in a couple of sentences? Or? No, you, you can go okay. ahead. All right, this is a pretty important chapter for Aria. We see the exchange of... Oh, well, let me make sure it's not crashing, though. Let me make sure this is... My Skype crashed. It, uh, you there? Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about this. Is taking forever. By the way, nope. went longer than expected. So we'll just power through the chapter and go get okay. notes. Then. So summary. Aria nine. Really important chapter. Aria uses up her third wish and from the genie. Her <laughs> <laughs> a fall of uh, Harrenhal to Roose Bolton's forces. She gets the coin, which she uses later on. All kinds of stuff happened this chapter. And so you you had a couple of notes you wanted to mention? Yeah, I had a couple. I actually uh. Having read it, read it again, I have a couple of questions I'd like to sure. discuss. If you yes, want. Um, so, so on my latest read-through, a couple of things popped to mind. Some little tiny notes that I missed uh, previously. But I, I kind of started to pick up on all of the little little hints that mm. of Vargo's, de- uh, Vargo's deal with Roos. Oh, yeah. When the, when the, when the uh, Bloody Rumors come back with those prisoners. Like, I, I know that he had the deal with Roos, but I, there's little tiny hints. Like, for example, um, when one of the prisoners says... He starts to say, "We were promised honorable treatment," hmm. and then uh, I think uh, uh, Amory Larch kind of shuts him up and, and sends him away. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it almost like you could you could you could hear it in his voice, like uh, this isn't part of the deal. Mm. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and or, I mean, Arya mentions uh, like why why aren't they cutting these guys' legs off or their feet? Like it seems. Yeah, odd. she mentions that too. And then yeah. like after they're actually released, um, she mentions specifically that. They there aren't they aren't as injured as they looked when they came in. Mm. They were all bandaged up and stuff, but they're not nearly that injured. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I had ever read the chapter. I'm sure I missed this. I didn't get like I just yeah. thought that they switched sides on the go. But it's basically as you're pointing out, they were planning to take over the Heron Hall like anyways through this ruse. And I guess like Arya did end up wasting her third wish because it wasn't necessary. Okay. That, that's what I'm really wondering about too. When it comes to like an actual question, is how 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 much did Arya actually affect this? I mean, she did. She's the one that released them, but how else would they have done it? Would they have done it with just the Bloody Murmurs? 
as you mentioned um, later on too, was was it Robert says I didn't see you guys when he came to our camp to treat and so like so it's obviously they had a plan. Yeah. And they would have I guess they would have just turned on them. The only reason why this has an effect is is if Vargo Holt was going to backstab them again and not turn on them, then it has an effect. Like if he wasn't going to go go ahead with the deal, but it seems like he probably was. He just hadn't gotten around to doing it. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. Exactly. I, it almost seems like like you said like she wasted her wish her last wish and. Yeah. If she would have just sat tight, maybe thought a little longer, all of a sudden they would have gotten out, and then she could have saved that for Tywin Lannister, or who knows. Yeah. But I mean, it, we always, I mean, we, yeah, on the podcast especially, we've gone over like the wish thing many times, and like, oh, we wish she could have done something, but it, ultimately, it would be too powerful. Like, George wouldn't allow her to have that effect in the story. I know, I know, yeah. but you got to, you do, the first two, you you know she's kicking herself, and she's going, yeah. seriously, I just killed off those bozos for nothing. And the third, the third one is completely out of her control. At least she tried to use it for her advantage. Yeah, yeah. It happened, but it, in the end, it ended up doing nothing. But here, here's the thing about Jaquin. I, I still don't get, like, why is he doing this? Like, why is he really these three lives saved that important to him that he has to do this? And that yeah, yeah, I thought it. that too. Like, what's up with his god? I mean, what, 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 yeah. god, what, what god exactly is he following? He's following the... the uh, I think just the many-faced god, I The many-faced god, yeah. right? But, and so for something, there's something about that Jaquin believes about... You know the the death being repaid, but why is it his responsibility? Yeah. Like I don't know. I feel like this is actually. And he seems to act it very well. Like he seems worried when when Arya says his name. But I I almost would think that he's maybe he's just testing Arya, and he really wouldn't go kill Tywin. He said go Tywin. He said screw that. Maybe he's just trying to test Arya out and prepare her for becoming like joining the Faceless Men. Uh, well, this maybe. Although he, th- if that being said, he's a very good actor. Then when he's like pretends to be scared like for himself. So I I don't know. Like I feel, I feel like it would make more sense that he, like, and then, then it would make more sense, like narratively, that he wouldn't really have gone and killed Joffrey or something like that. So it wouldn't seem like a, such a huge waste if he wouldn't do something like that. But well, and, and there's the question of where where did he come from? Like, why was he yeah. in the prison? At, yeah, why at, was he uh, in prison? Yeah. <laughs> well, what did he do? Why did he get caught? How did he get caught? Did he kill somebody? Did they catch like? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, you've probably heard of the the theory of Serio Pharrell being Jaquin. Yeah, I've uh, heard, but I don't know. If I, I mean, it's popular, it. but not likely sort of yeah. theory. But but the idea that maybe he was there on purpose in jail is is possible. Like, but I don't know why would he put himself in purpose in jail and and let himself be tied up? Like, I, yeah. I don't I don't know. And then who are there. who exactly are Rorge and Biter? Yeah. Oh, do, do, you know they actually they actually have a backstory, uh, but not in the books. George what? revealed it. Uh, I don't know if you want to hear about it. He's not going to put it in the books. Oh, I totally want to hear about it. Sure. What's up okay. with it? Uh, from what I remember, so Rorge worked in like he was in like you know those shady places in King's Landing, like with the pot shops and that kind of place, like the gambling and things like that. And he got Biter as a kid. Like Biter was some like poor kid on the street, and he basically like threw in Biter to fight like dogs in like a dog pit, and then like eventually with like other animals, even bears maybe. So he basically turned Biter into what he is. Like he filed his teeth and, and turn him into like the half animal well that's why but biter is kind of huh. like loyal to him and kind of like a deranged pet kind of way and so yeah he basically just raised biter from a young age and led him to be what he is his did old. he bite off his nose uh sorry did he bite off his nose i don't know i think i think he, his nose got cut off probably for like i think george said that as well i think he was a punishment or something like that it was oh. some sort of punishment for him but even when when Rorge dies biter goes like crazy like this loyal like animal, yeah. but it's yeah. it's not Biter's right. fault. Like Biter, Biter was basically brought into this life because of Rorge to put him in this kind of situation. So it's he like does. I do remember him freaking out when when Rorge died. Yeah, you're yeah. right. The question was phrased in a way is like, what's Biter's backstory? There's got to be something to it. And George is like, yeah, blah blah blah. So it's like even for Biter and Rorge, he had this whole backstory. Okay, so but how are they connected to Jockin? 
right? That I don't know. But although they, see that, that's the thing about why Jacqueline is always so creepy is that these guys are scared of him, right? Like these these freaks, like Rorge and and Biter are scared of Jacqueline. So you know the guy mm-hmm. something serious about him. Like maybe like they saw him change his face or he did some sort of like magic or something while they were in jail to scare the hell out of them because they're I think they were all in jail and they just scared. I mean Arya talks about that. She thought they were some demons conjured. Yeah, them. yeah. But they're still like, around. I think so. I think just took advantage of them. He just, he just, you know, bullied them into fear, into submission, whatever he did to do so. Mm-hmm. But would, do you know, like, what happened to Jacqueline later on, though? Because I believe, like, the, the face that he switches into now, he ends up going um, and killing Pate in the fourth book. That's uh, him? I think that's him. I think the descriptions match. I'll have oh, to, I'll have I to never made that. that connection. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. I, li- I like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping he's not yeah. gone. Well, it's, w- it's 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 either that or he's the guy who killed Balon on the bridge. But that that guy doesn't have a description. It's just a faceless man. Um, a faceless man. It did kill Balon though. But that then again, like how would he get hired by Euron to do that? Like while well, he's here, so I think he's the, he's the one. And he, and he says here, I have things to do. I have duties to tend to. It's true. He does say that. Chapter. So. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. I'm pretty sure that the description matches the the guy who gives. In the, I think it's a prologue of *Feast for Crows*. Yep. You can go check that, I guess, after <laughs> this episode. That, that does that does add a lot of uh, uh, a meaning to that prologue because mm. otherwise, I you know, you're reading that and it, I just I didn't really get a lot from it. Yeah. Because there's the whole Sorella uh, Illyrius or whatever her name is. Oh yeah, like the like she's why a, is she there? Sand viper? No, she's a sand snake. Yeah. Yeah, the sand snake. Yeah. That would be those would be some cool characters actually for the game is the sand snakes the cart. <laughs> oh, we do. We actually um, uh, oh, the living the, card game has them or? for the uh, yeah for the living card game we did it was two cards in the same set that's mm. one of them was Alaris and the other one was Sorella but we they were the same drawn to be the same oh. face because you know it's it's, it's it's still a theory whether they're actually the same player oh, person yeah. or not but um, we drew the they had the artist draw the same character on the same face. And then kind of let let the players go, hey, how about these two guys? And so if you don't know anything about the story or if you haven't heard the theories, you kind of look at the two pieces of art and you kind of say, this is weird. They kind of look alike. Oh, that's really but, cool. That's like really, again, shows through true fandom. Like they had oh, yeah. to do something like that. By the way, you know, I actually I have the card game now. I've got the, the core set. So core set. I'm planning to build up some decks. And if there's Days of Ice and Fire and if, if I come to it, then I, I would play. That'd be cool. Yeah. It's a fun game. It's hard. It, yeah, and we're, we're hopefully going to have Dame on Stone at some point. I haven't even talked. I haven't even talked. Yeah, to him. Yeah. yeah. Talked to him about that. He he said he was looking forward to joining you guys. Cool. It'd be good to have him on here. Like, like again, I have the card game. I don't know much about it still, even though I've, I've played like once or twice. But it'll be good to get his you know descriptions and, uh, and questions. And like, does anyone ever like mention the Dame on Stone that he has like a very ice and fire name? Or <laughs> I. I... I guess I don't know. I haven't heard anybody say anything. It is very. It is totally. It's, it's right out of the books. Like it's just. It fits. It's a badass name. It's <laughs> like how did, did was it was that mentioned during the hiring process or just yeah. Answer? All right, back to the chapters. Any other notes you wanted? Other questions you had? Um, the only other question I had, and this is a little more broad, and it's you know, but I I I'd always kind of as much as I've researched about it, I still haven't quite put the pieces together, and that was the timeline of Roos's betrayal. Where and when did he? ally with the Freys and Lannisters. And I'm thinking it was around this time, like even when he took Harrenhal, did did he still have it in mind to, to betray Rob? I think it depends on what you des- describe as betrayal versus empowering himself. I think from the very very early on he was bleeding off northern troops and, and yeah, battles. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's technically betrayal, I guess, but it, maybe he's still like meant to serve Rob just as like making himself a stronger supporter of Rob by getting rid, rid of um 
his rivals. But I think it's slightly after this chapter when when it finally turns. Like I mean, the chapter before, which we just covered, is when Winterfell falls to Theon. So mm-hmm. that was a key thing that he mentions in the fifth book. That was like that was going to be the end of Rob was the fall of Winterfell. The thing is, he's in a perfect place right now to be like negotiating with the, both the Lannisters and the Freys because he's got all these Frey troops with him, um, and he communicates. So we're getting very close, I think, to the turning point. I don't think he's fully turned yet, uh, hmm. but very soon. But I mean, he, he, regardless of whether he turned or not, I mean, he's he's killing Northern troops to make himself more powerful. That's not really somebody you want in command. Over mm-hmm. So. Well, like his his alliance with the brave companions in order to take Heron Hall. Rob had commanded him to take Heron Hall, right? He commanded him to storm it, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I mean, it, it's pretty fi- efficient what he did in that way. Like he took it without. Uh... Yeah. So I'm wondering if like that was all part of the plan to to follow Rob. He's following Rob's orders to take Heron Hall. Well, it, it, it's not time to do open rebellion right yet, right? Like even at this point, let's say Rob had just like won the war at this point, Roose still comes out the better because he's he's weakened the other lords. He's, mm-hmm. he's kept as many Bolton men alive, and he's he's bled off other lords. So I feel like from the very start, from the very start of the war, he thought at least I will take whatever advantage I can get out of it, not necessarily to overthrow Rob, but yeah. just make himself more powerful. And then he got the chance to overthrow him later on. So I think either way, that's not good. I think either way, he wasn't a good pick. Oh, I know. That's just right at that moment. Like it re- on the rereads, you're reading him when mm-hmm. Rob gives basically the entirety of his command to Roos, and you're like, "No, pick anybody." Yeah. Well, even, I mean, even Caitlin says he's like, "I don't know if I trust this guy." Hmm. Mistaken, Caitlin though, she still follows. I mean, there, there would have been worse if you put with Great John or somebody who gets the whole army destroyed, uh, like by by charging, that would be bad. But you have all these other people you could have put in. He had nobody else that was smart enough, though. I mean, like all yeah, it takes is an, is an intelligent commander. But you'd think there's somebody that was a military. Oh yeah, I think mind. so. I think that was a mistake. And I, I, the weird thing is because in the fifth book, John says like that Eddard like had told him that he he didn't mislike the Bolton, but he never trusted him. Well, didn't he tell Rob about that? He should <laughs> not to to trust him. So and then the Bolton history is so bad. So yeah. That, but I mean, it was really like a comedy of errors with like Theon taking Winterfell and then Rob mm-hmm. messing up the marriage. It's, all these things stacked together that screwed him over. And if things had gone a little bit different. And, you know, like even if Rob had been alive a little bit longer and then Tywin had died, that might have scared them from uh, going against them, right? And like, I, I, I totally blame Rob for the marriage thing. That was his fault. He totally screwed up. Big, huge screw up. But I do not blame him for th- sending Theon. That was a smart move. Mm-hmm. He promised Balon king he could be a oh, king Phelan was a dumbass like uh, <laughs> really yeah. he was i mean i don't know i mean you could he took the north it kind of worked but he's not going to hold it like even against the north like even like even like the worst case scenario the north could probably hold him off like just the people that like demand release not kind of like take it's just too much i think well didn't um, didn't don't you think it fell i mean ultimately that their plan the, the ironborn plan failed when balan died and euron took everybody and went the other direction oh yeah that was he basically like, abandoned it that was that was completely horrible because then he attacked the Tyrells. He pissed off everybody basically. Like, but had Balin been alive and continued with the plan, I think they could have fortified and supplied the, the coast. North. I think. But the problem, and you're right. Balon himself thought that they were going to take Winterfell at some point. He's like, "Oh, we'll take Winterfell." But I feel like not for the long run. Like they're not good in land, and they still have all these guys. Uh, like if Roderick hadn't screwed up the whole North and lost Winterfell, I feel like it would have been difficult. I mean, maybe if they put like everybody there, if they commit, you're saying they commit their full force to. Well, I mean, you, you, when when uh, when Theon slash Reek goes to uh, Mount Kalen with the, the the tiny little garrison they have left, the little Ironborn garrison that they're all rotting away, you know, yeah. they're all waiting for more reinforcements. Yeah. They were told to hold that, thinking more would come, but yeah. they just never came. 
Yeah, whatever chance they had was totally screwed over by Euron. But I, I feel it would still, it, even in the best case scenario, like I think Asha's scenario where they where they try to negotiate a peace or take the coast works best. Or if they got Bran and, and Rickon as hostages, mm-hmm. they could have done it. But I, I feel like a complete cost to the north would have been difficult. Because Rob only, in fact, Rob only mustered half his men. He didn't have time to muster the other half. And that's he, had why, ha- he had half of North still. He, the half of the North, like from the start, half. Of the, I mean, some of those guys have died now in battles and stuff up there. But Rob only mustered half the strength of the North. The other half wasn't fully mustered because it would take too long. Okay. To down. Well, that makes a lot more sense then. The fact yeah. that Robert could, or that uh, uh, Roderick could still summon men. Yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, Stannis picks up a bunch of those guys from the the clansmen, right? Like yep. those guys yep. were just too far off. He couldn't wait for those. Like so basically, as George himself said, like the army that Rob takes down is half of the North's strength. The other half wasn't fully mustered, and then that's why it's also important for Stannis. That there's there's guys there to like if Rob had completely drained the North, and then it would be useless. They, but there's still men out there, and Stannis has some of them. So hmm. yeah. Do you read uh, the little nuggets that that George writes, like the little extracurricular stuff? What do you mean? Well, I don't know. Like, he seemed to have a lot of the little information about things that, like, George wrote. Does he have, like, like a... Oh, yeah. Actually, on Westeros.org, they have a record of it. Like, so, I think it's called So Spake Martin. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that, that has that. So I do read that. They have everything is he it, said. Is it pre- I've, I've glanced at it, but is it pretty yeah. full of nuggets like that? I mean... Oh, for sure. It's tons of nuggets. And usually, Elio looks over, like, he, he he's able to confirm a lot of them or list if it's not confirmed or not. So, yeah, it has things like that. Like, things like, you know, the numbers of, like, each area. Which he himself says, like, he doesn't want to give, because first of all, like, numbers are hard. You know, first of all, numbers are not always accurate in the world, and he tries to reflect that. And it's, somebody's, it's somebody's interpretation of a number. Or... Exactly, yeah. But he still, he still give, gives that answer that only half the north was mustered. Hmm. The other half was there. So yeah, it's worth looking at. There's lots Yeah, of... definitely. Anything else you say? or? Uh, no, that's probably all I got. Okay, I, I think maybe we'll just... Uh, wrap up. I think it's getting a little bit long. Yeah. I, I might do this. I might talk about this chapter in the future. I think you and I have talked about what we wanted to, to yep. talk about. So, yeah. Thank you, Jason, for joining us again. It's been great. No problem. That's great. Here. I um, enjoy it very much. Cool. And thanks everyone for listening out there. Check us out on our podcast advicefire.com website, on our forums, on Twitter at APOIF, uh, Facebook, and DeviantArt. And hopefully this month we'll be recording uh, Princess and the Queen. And we'll also be doing a Christmas Filks episode, uh, number two, hopefully. And we'll see you next time. Good. Thanks, Jason. Um, yep. I'll have to send you a Christmas Filks. What we did is we made songs uh, in Game of Thrones style uh, from Christmas songs, basically. Like, you change <laughs> the lyrics. That's funny. Sing it out. Let's see. Make sure I'm recording this properly. Yeah, I don't, sorry, I don't have a recording function. I mean, so. Yeah, I did. So you you two have met, I believe. Mimi, you came in halfway through the episode last time, right? Uh, episode ninety-two, right? Yeah. Yeah, I believe yeah, we did. In the episode description, you're like Mimi joined the call about thirty minutes in. Why was I late? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, the problem is, I might be lagging a little bit right now. Um, it might be better if you call us, Mimi. Uh, you might have to add Jason uh, okay. onto your account, just because it seems I'd- to be lagging just a bit. I do hear some lag.
Okay. I sent you a contact request. Um, I guess we'll hang up and then I'll host the call, okay? Yeah. Can you edit, like, coughing and sneezing and stuff, too? I can, but I, like, I mean, manually, I did it out, so. <laughs> I have a little bit of a cold, so I might be sniffling. I hope not. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's this, there's this one person who always is like, it means stop clearing your throat in the podcast all the time. <laughs> usually. <laughs> hey, so everyone's asking us when we're going to talk about the princess and the queen. I haven't read it yet. Have you? Oh, yeah, I have. We'll talk about it on the next, like, I'd like sure. to talk about it with Kyle and stuff present, you know? So, yeah, can we do it this month? That'd be good, right? Yeah, I mean, did you guys talk about it already? If you have, then. no, because he hasn't read it yet. We just said we were going to do it. That's all we said. Because obviously we're going to do it, right? But okay. even already, people are like, hey, where's the thing? I'm like, it's not a job. Yeah, like <laughs> everyone's been asking about it, so I was like, okay. hopefully we'll just uh... we'll do it. This uh, this is the two episodes I want to do one. I want the Princess and Queen this month and the uh, Christmas Folks. Okay, it. wow, you turned out a lot this month. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. No. Because, like, you know, we, we, we say whatever we want, but we don't necessarily publish everything I say. <laughs> Definitely don't publish anything I say. <laughs> Mimi just gets cut out completely. I'm just, yeah, I'm not even in any of these episodes. <laughs> just yeah. have somebody else say our lines. <laughs> good. Looks like it, edited, it saved properly. Okay, good. Can you ask that question again, by the way? Because it got cut off, just in case of the recorder. Sorry. Just did you say, say Dunkin' Egg, Mimi? <laughs> I was like, have to repeat myself. Um, you know, as far as future material goes, do you think you would pull anything from Dunkin' Egg? 